All right. Good morning. This morning we're going to continue looking at the Gospel of Luke. You'll see a note in your order that this summer we have been looking at uh, Gospel of Luke, specifically chapters 15 through 18. And as part of this, just to set some context to remind us of what's happening, is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on a journey, and this journey takes up a good section of the middle of Luke's gospel. And as part of his travel, he is teaching about who he is and about his kingdom, about the kingdom of God. And one of the things that's significant during this section is that kind of three uh, different groups appear. Three different kind of responses come out of hearing Jesus talk about himself and his kingdom. One group is the crowds, those who are interested, but do not follow up their interest with any type of commitment. Another group are the Pharisees or the religious kind of leaders who are opposed to Jesus, who do not like what he's saying or doing and therefore respond with a growing amount of hatred or judgment. And then there is the disciples, those who hear and are interested and then respond with faith, with desire to follow Jesus with their life. And it's significant to point those out because this morning our passage is directed to the disciples, to those who are following Christ. As a way to kind of enter into this, I'm going to mention that yesterday my family and I went down to Indiana, to Milan, Indiana, for a family reunion on my dad's side, and that some of the people there have gone to Purdue University, and some went to Indiana University, and maybe you've had this experience in other contexts, but when they see each other, they like to give each other a hard time about which school is better, which one gave them a better education, or which one has better sports teams, Purdue or Indiana. And as part of that, you know, as I was driving kind of to this place in Indiana, I noticed the number of cars or uh, bumper stickers that some are black and gold for Purdue, some are red and white for Indiana University. I'm sure there's some Ball State ones out there too, Nathan. But yeah. <laughs> and, you know, maybe we can think about, it's easy to mark yourself out as a fan, someone who's part of a certain school or, or you know, supporting a certain team. Maybe you hat you wear, the clothes that you wear, maybe there's a flag outside of your home, Maybe there's something on your car that designates you as a certain fan. It's easy to kind of mark out, this is the team that I support, this is the place that I am connected to. And I mention that because part of what's happening in our passage that Jesus is addressing is kind of what are the characteristics of a follower of his. We can think about the characteristics of a, of a fan of a certain school, of a certain sports team. That might be easy to see. But what about the characteristics of those who say, not only am I interested in what Jesus is saying, but I am identifying with him? What are the characteristics of those who say, I'm following Christ with my life? We could talk about a number of those things. And you know, one thing the scripture says clearly is that those who follow Christ are those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior. So part of the mark is that we confess our faith out, out loud. Another thing that Jesus himself talks about asking, and how will people know that you belong to me. And he says that when you love one another, as I have loved you, you are to love one another, and then therefore people will know you belong to me. Another part, and we'll see in our passage this morning, another characteristic is humility. Humility. We don't have to listen very long to what Jesus says to see him talk about humility. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. That he himself did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but humbled himself and took the form of a servant, even dying on the cross, telling us that we should have the same mind as him, a humble, not thinking of ourselves too highly. 
And I mentioned that last characteristic, humility, because that's the common thread of our passage this morning. It might not be right away obvious as we read it, but runs, what's running through it is this question of what will mark out my people, and one of the marks is humility. Before we read, it's worth noting that humility is an interesting virtue. Tim Keller, writing about humility, says, Humility is shy. If you begin talking about it, it leaves. Right, we know that, right? The person who says they're humble, that's the one that you can assume is not, right? Humility is an indirect virtue. We don't get it just by saying, hey, be humble now, or I'm going to be humble now. But it comes as fruit out of other realities, other acknowledgments, other things that we come to understand. And one way to think about humility is that you, hum- humility comes when we rightly see ourselves and we rightly see God. And when we see those things about who we are, about who God is, it brings forth the fruit of humility in our hearts. So this is what Jesus desires for you and for me. If we follow him, is to be marked by humility. So let's read our passage. This is Luke 17, 1 through 10. You can follow in your orders or in your Bible. And Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when his, he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me? And dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will, eat, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we come as a people needing to hear your word. We don't have all the answers within us. We don't have all of the resources before us to, to seek out what we need to know and who we need to be. Lord, we, we need you to speak to us and by your spirit to move us and change us. And so we ask that you'd be with us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, it might not be obvious right away, but our passage is pointing us towards humility as a mark of God's people. And what we'll see this morning is the kind of three parts to the passage and the three different things that point us to humility. One being the seriousness of sin. The second, the depth of forgiveness that Jesus calls us to. And the last thing about humility we'll see is that there is a short parable that Jesus tells that tells us about the nature of our dependence upon God. So let's start with the seriousness of sin. Jesus begins by saying, watch. Pay attention to yourselves. Be on your guard. And so why is that the call? Why is God saying through Christ, watch? Because temptation, or because tests, are sure to come. Temptations to sin are sure to come your way. 
we know this already, but Jesus is telling us this is part of what it means to live in this world, that the way that the world is, and given our sinful hearts, that part of life is that temptations, tests to turn away from God to sin, will surely come. Until God's final victory, until he fully restores us, this will be part of our life in this world. These tests, these challenges are sure to come. Maybe you've even experienced them this morning on the way to church, interacting with one another or your neighbors or just getting here. Jesus' language here speaks of sin in both a personal term, but we'll see also in a social dynamic. First, he talks maybe in a personal way that we'll have temptations, that we'll have tests, and we can think about that in our life. Even think about the fruit of the Spirit as an example. Will I walk in gentleness? Will I be marked by love with my family or with my neighbors? Or do I, am I a person of self-control? And we can just think of even those three things about the tests or the temptations that come upon us that rather than that way, are we more directed towards being those who are harsh, critical, or lustful? Jesus is saying this is part of following me, that you will face tests and temptations in this world. But along with these personal terms, these personal struggles that we have within our hearts and in our kind of way we go about life, Jesus adds a social dimension, a social dynamic about sin. Do you see what he says? Temptations are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Watch for temptation. Watch yourself and pay attention, especially also to your relationships. How your way of being impacts others, especially the little ones or the weak ones, those who have need around you. The impact of my sin can bring separation to my relationships and it can hurt others. Woe to the one who causes a little one to sin. Jesus' language here literally means that to cause one to fall down, to cause one to stumble. Woe to you who, if you cause one to stumble. Interestingly, Jesus uses this idea of stumbling, being a stumbling block. He uses it to describe his own life and ministry earlier in the Gospel of Luke, saying that he is a stumbling block. And so what we see is it's possible that we can actually be a trip up to people by our righteousness, by our mercy, by our faith. In Jesus' case, that people, as they heard him speak, as they heard what he was going to do, they began to back away saying, this person is not who I'm interested in. I don't like what he says. I don't like who he hangs out with. And he's going to die and suffer. What kind of Messiah is that? And so Jesus' righteousness, his mercy and service led people to move away, to stumble over who he was. And so it's possible that as we live a righteous life, people might be marked by that, find that be not what they want. But that stumbling is not what Jesus is saying here. It's possible that people would stumble because we do what is right. But Jesus here is saying it's possible that our actions, who we are, what we do or fail to do, can lead to people falling down being tripped up, stumbling. Jesus doesn't give us much specifics here, what that looks like in your life or mine. But the context of Luke, what we've been looking at the last few weeks, tells us a great deal about what Jesus is saying. He's been giving a number of parables contrasting the strong versus the weak, the rich and the poor, the insider and the outsider, 
And Jesus is trying to say here that we should be weary, we should watch and whether we are welcoming others, showing hospitality to others, especially mindful of those who, who have need. Do our actions towards them lift them up? Or are we a stumbling block to them? We can think in some of the parables that Jesus said. We can think of the rich man, maybe you were here a couple weeks ago, the rich man who had all sorts of things, everything he wanted, a table full of food every day. But he did not one time welcome his neighbor Lazarus, who was poor and hurting, to join him. Or we can think about the prodigal son story, about the elder son who was home when his sinful younger brother arrives home. And instead of welcoming the younger brother, welcoming him with forgiveness, the elder brother stays away saying that this younger brother has no place anymore in his family. Jesus is saying to the strong, saying to those who are religious or those who have an abundance, be careful, watch what you're doing. How are you living your life and using your possessions? Are you welcoming others and showing the grace of God to them? Or are you keeping them at bay? The house just south of my house was, is, was recently knocked down for a new house to be put in. I imagine there might be some more sermon illustrations to come around construction-themed things. <laughs> but the house is no more. There's just a big, big hole in the ground waiting for the developers to start on the foundation. But I was thinking about this you know, message that Jesus is sharing to his disciples. And imagining building you know, our house, building our life. Many of us, right, we, we want to build something that's strong and something that's good. Something that brings life to all those who are connected to it. And I, I think Jesus is saying, he's saying, be careful. Watch what you're doing. Because it's possible for us to build a house, even to build a religious house, and forget about our neighbors, or even to forget about God. That we're busy building the house, putting everything where it should go, everything how we envision it being, such that even God or our neighbors become simply an interference or a possible interruption to how we want all things to be. And Jesus is saying, look, and watch what you're doing. Are you building a house that is reflective of God's grace and mercy? Or is it one just about being right and having things in the place you want them to be? He was saying to the Pharisees, you who are strong, earlier in Luke, he criticizes them, they, that you spend all this time talking about your tithe, how much herbs or how much different resources you're supposed to give to the temple. And he says, you spend all this time talking about your religious activities and the tithe that you give, but you do not have any interest in justice or love towards others. Woe to you. Woe to you if you build your house and it's like what you want it to be, but you are not concerned with the ways of God and his kingdom. Woe to you if you are proud of your status and your strongness and your religion, but you trip up or overlook the little ones. Be on your guard against such selfishness, Jesus is saying. Be on your guard of a proud posture that refuses grace towards others or does not see the sufficiency of grace for others. Do you see what Jesus says? Woe to you who cause a little one to sin or stumble. And he gives this graphic image. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck 
and he were cast into the sea. And he should cause one little one to stumble. Jesus is offering us this stunning image to get our attention. To feel the significance of sin. The significance that we fall short, even if we have a beautiful structured house and religious life, but do not keep God's laws. The millstone here refers to the heavy stone that was used in a mill, usually pushed by a mule or a donkey. And Jesus is saying, drowning, being dragged to the bottom of the sea by this millstone. It would be better to do that than to have the fate of breaking God's law, of failing to love your neighbor or causing a little one to stumble. Jesus is offering this image for us to feel the weight and the seriousness of sin. Our sin breaks us. It makes us guilty before God, but also sin can break others, causing them to fall, to no longer receive and know the grace of God. We can think maybe this morning of a person who is a great challenge to us. Tempted someone to tempt that we're looked down on, someone we're tempted to judge, or maybe one the world even overlooks. And Jesus is asking us to pay attention. How do we treat this person? Do they fit into the busy building of your life, of your house? Do we share God's love and justice and mercy with them? Humility comes when we grasp the seriousness of sin. Humility comes when we we realize that we can be religious and have everything's put in the right spot, but still fall short of God's good and perfect law. Even as Jesus gives this image, the seriousness of the millstone, the seriousness of sin, he also offers this profound call to forgiveness. And this is the second thing that invites us to humility, is not just the seriousness of sin, but the depth of of forgiveness that Jesus invites us to. If your brother or sister sins, rebuke him. And if he or she repents, forgive her. And even if it's then seven times in the day, if they say, I'm sorry if they repent, then you are to forgive seven times. Sin here is described as a break in relationship. And Jesus invites us to this honesty and to a depth of grace. Do not cause your brother or sister to stumble but rather be people who forgive. People who forgive. And we can think for a moment about what is forgiveness. We all know about forgiveness in our life. We we experience this on a daily basis with those in our family, those at work, our neighbors. How have you experienced forgiveness, whether offering it or receiving it? And it's possible that the posture that can be happened with the idea of forgiveness is that we can think, I haven't done anything wrong, but I'll choose to forgive you. And kind of having a sense of superiority in the midst of that. Or it's possible that we might think to ourselves, well, I'll excuse this once or twice, and it's time then to draw back or make sure the person understands how bad it is. Why should I continue to forgive? Or maybe we can think of the person who feels the need to correct everyone around him or her, to say what things are being done right or wrong, Maybe you can think even the Christian version of this, telling everyone their divine opinion. This is what you're supposed to be doing with your life. This is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not telling you to go around correcting everybody. And Jesus is not presenting forgiveness as a way to lord over somebody else. Jesus calls us to something very different. 
When you forgive someone, you are to make yourself the servant of that person, seeking to lift them up. The depth of this forgiveness is made clear by the word daily and the word seven. It gives shape to the depth of what Jesus is inviting us to. Daily stresses, this is an ongoing nature. This is the ongoing part of being a disciple. This is our posture of one of grace and forgiveness, not a one-time event. And we are to do it seven times in the day, meaning without limit. Why? You and I know that forgiveness can be challenging. Why is Jesus inviting us to this? We are to give to the other person the gracious and generous welcome of God, the generous forgiveness of God that God has shown us in the first place. Forgive as you have been forgiven. The disciples hearing this, they are stunned and they ask Jesus to increase their faith. And this is an image that not about the depth of faith, it's the image about the power of God. It's an image here of comparing a mustard seed to the tree being lifted up and planted. And what I think that Jesus is suggesting here is, look what can happen. By having faith in God, you can be transformed. One who was planted in sin and guilt and shame can be lifted up and put into the waters, planted again, now in a place of life and abundance and forgiveness. By God's action for you in Christ, you are like the tree that's been uprooted, transplanted, Sinners and broken and lost, now planted in God's family by streams of water, forgiven and restored. That image is an image not about the disciples having great faith, but an image about what can happen through God's grace in their life. He's saying, if you know that grace, then share it with others. Earlier this summer, there was a woman named Eva Kaur who passed away. Maybe you saw on the news, she was a survivor at Auschwitz concentration camp during the Second World War. And she died while leading a tour uh, about the Holocaust in Poland. And she was a leader in Holocaust education, and she was known especially as one who taught the importance of forgiveness. Eva Kaur, one of the things that she said is that forgiveness is not based in the perpetrator. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the perpetrator, but has everything to do with the inner life of the victim of the inner life of the victim. There's a lot of truth to what she's saying, that forgiveness is not about the one being forgiven. Forgiveness comes when we are changed ourselves internally. Forgiveness is a part of the life of discipleship, not because we're so strong, or not because people deserve to be forgiven, but forgiveness is part of the life of discipleship because God has forgiven us. And humility comes when we grasp that God has plucked us up out of our sin and shame and placed us in his family, and it's out of that mercy that we can offer it to other people. Out of that forgiveness of the seriousness of sin that we can forgive others. Well, Jesus explores these things, sin and forgiveness, the last part by a short parable, short story about a servant and a master. And here's how we'll end that Jesus gives this summary about the nature of our relationship with God, about our dependence upon God. And you can picture the story. He says, look, there's a small household, and there's a servant who's caring for the home in a variety of ways, plowing a field, tending sheep, coming in to cook a meal and clean things up. 
And at the end of the day, after all the work, Jesus explores the dynamic of the servant's relationship with the master through two questions. Would the master invite the servant to sit down and eat? And would the master thank the servant? Now, we might think, yes, of course, it's, it's the servants worked hard all day. And the master should be kind. But as a way for us to think and to open ourselves up, Jesus suggests the answer is no. The master will not invite the servant to the table, nor will he say thank you. Now, we need to remember that parables tell a primary truth. There's not some kind of point to every part. And that we've seen earlier that Jesus even uses people of bad character or bad situations to tell a story, to tell the truth. And so Jesus is not somehow defending the master or the idea of a master. Rather, the story invites us to see that this relationship, the servant can never put the master in debt. The servant can never put the master in debt. The servant simply completing the work does not somehow earn a place at the table. And Jesus is undercutting our sense of pride, our sense of self-righteousness that is often part of the religious life. The way of faith is not self-justification, somehow earning a place, but it's humbly being invited in by the God of grace. See, the gospel proclamation is not a servant earning a place at the table, earning his or her way closer in to the heart of the home. The gospel proclamation is very different. The master moves to the little ones. The master gets up and puts on a towel like Jesus and washes the servant's feet. This is the gospel image. But we are not invited to take the role of the master, the one who sets everything up. We're invited to be served by the master. Nothing we do, no amount of hard work, brings us into the life of the kingdom. It doesn't allow us but God in our debt. But our place from beginning to end rests in God's graciousness to us, God's movement towards us. It's easy maybe for us, for you or for me, to arrive at a spot where I can think about all the things I've done yesterday or will do today, the ways I serve others, the, even forgiving those who are hard to forgive, I, the money I give or resources I give, and think that God must be happy with me. And Jesus is inviting us to think in humility that our place from beginning to end is God's love for you, a sinner. God's happiness doesn't arise because you begin to do the things you're supposed to do. God's love for you began when you were in death and sin and judgment. And he brings you to himself. And it's in that place, in that humility, that we can rest in the grace of God. The one who sees the depth of our sin and forgives us, who invites us to share that forgiveness with others and to rest in what he has secured for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would be with us by your spirit. Lord, help us to be people who turn away from sin and to offer grace towards others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.